As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic. I'm Ruth Jackson. And before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can choose from a variety of free ebooks. But now for today's show. On Friday the 19th of May, the evangelist, apologist and author Tim Keller died following a decline in his health after being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2020. Christians around the world took to social media to express their gratitude for Tim and the impact of his work on their faith and ministries. I'm joined today by Colin Hansen, Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition and Executive Director of the Keller Centre for Cultural Apologetics. Colin recently wrote a book entitled Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. Colin, thank you so much for joining us again. We've we've looked already at sort of the beginning of Tim Keller's life, how he came to faith. Um, but one of the areas that I was particularly interested in was some of the really significant women in Keller's life. So there was Barbara Boyd, who taught him how to read the Bible, among others. Elizabeth Elliot, who taught him and his wife, Kathy, at Gordon Conwell Theological Ceremony. I mean, do you think it was difficult for Keller to land on his complementarian view of women in light of the fact that so many women had played sort of quite an important role in his discipleship? It's a good question, but I think it's probably the opposite. I think it's probably what made it easier for him to be able to land on that position because he didn't have an occasion to see it as a cultural stereotype. Um, so first of all, I mean, when you look at Tim, his life was marked the entire time by strong women, not only from his mother, you mentioned then to Barbara Boyd, who was so instrumental in helping him to understand the Bible, and then Elizabeth Elliot, and then Kathy. Elizabeth Elliot, and, and just both of them being learning from Elizabeth Elliot at the same time was very formative because their view of complementarianism bears a lot of similarity to Elizabeth Elliot, meaning that they saw it as an essential aspect of submission to God's word and indeed to God himself, but at the same time being voided of a lot of the traditional cultural trappings that might have expected a woman to be demure or passive or quiet or, or things like that. But but in fact, of course, all of these women, very opinionated, gifted as teachers, gifted as writers. And so, you know, a common thread there as well. So I think it actually made it easier for him, uh, perhaps counterintuitively, precisely because he'd been exposed to so many 
strong women. Well, and one of the women who clearly had a profound impact on Tim and his ministry was his now wife, um, Kathy. Uh, would you say just a little bit about sort of how their relationship developed and the impact that she had on him, which, you know, it was absolutely instrumental, wasn't it? If you go back and look at the reason for God, Tim lists his uh, he lists his three most significant influences, C.S. Lewis, Jonathan Edwards and Kathy Keller, formerly Kathy Christie. But of course, he says Kathy's number one because she introduced him to the other two. Uh, she was ahead of him in her theological development, more form. It's because as a as a teenager, she was one of the last people to ever correspond with C.S. Lewis. But not only that, but then as a teenager, she even travels to England to visit Lewis's, you know, talk with his brother and to visit his home. Uh, that just gives you a little bit of sense of of what a dynamic and fascinating figure Kathy is, um, and always and always has been. She was an absolutely gifted and energetic youth minister and organizer among her peers through young life in in uh, Western Pennsylvania. She's from the from the Pittsburgh area. She was again folded into that that group with R.C. Sproul and. And where Tim um, got to be involved as well, and she goes off with a large contingent from her area to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, and she graduates likewise um, with 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 significant honors, like Tim did. And so, even though their paths would be divergent in some ways, meaning Kathy had three boys at home that she was taking care of, and Tim was working long hours. I think one of the sweetest things in these last few years is how much time they got to spend together. In fact, they had not spent that much time together going all except for their seminary days. It was a sweet, um, sweet final three years in many ways for them. But uh, you will never be able to understand Tim without understanding Kathy. Well, and we're going to talk, as I mentioned in the previous episode, we're going to be talking about C.S. Lewis and the impact that he had on um, Tim Keller. And obviously, we're going to be talking about the impact that Kathy Keller has in introducing him as well and that incredible correspondence. But there's a great quote from your book about um, Kathy here. Where you say, even before Kathy Christie took the name Keller, she would become the most formative intellectual and spiritual influence on Tim Keller's life. I just think that's so powerful, isn't it? Um, and I think you kind of see that in a lot of his writing today. And um, one of the questions I've been thinking about was like, why is when Kathy went to Gordon Conway um, Theological College, she was well, she had in mind that she may get ordained. And while she was there, she changed her mind on women in leadership and ordination, didn't she? Do you know why that happened, Colin? Well, it was kind of in the works earlier as well, even through her exposure with uh, with R.C. Sproul. So at that time was a pretty significant debate around kind of different denominations, northern and southern, evangelical and mainline. You've got some of the really significant influence in the 1960s of, of feminism. And so if you were a woman pursuing kinds of ministry, you were certainly thinking through these things. And Gordon Conwell, I write about in the book, was a significant place of of exchange, not always very uh, friendly exchange uh, between people on different sides of that issue. And so Elizabeth Elliot was no doubt a key figure in helping to confirm that direction that Kathy was already going of saying, yeah, I just don't think that's in keeping with the historic practice or the biblical example in there. So I don't remember her ever saying that it was a particularly agonizing decision for her. Just keep in mind, she came from a mainline Presbyterian denomination where there were women 
women pastors. So in that sense, that was kind of her model for ministry. I don't remember it being a particularly dramatic change in there, but it was dramatic in the sense that she was a part of the largest presbytery in the United States. And when she announced that withdrawal, had about half of that very large group of hundreds of, of, of elders, you know, about half of them booing and hissing because it was just that kind of contentious issue at the time. It's a little, little less contentious today in some different ways, but it's somewhat akin to some of the debates you see about homosexuality today, just in the sense of, of how exercised and energized people are on, on both sides of that discussion. Now, Gordon wasn't where Tim and Kathy met, but it was where they kind of got to know each other and, and ended up starting dating. Would you share with me a little bit about the oh. pearls before spine, uh, the, the pearls before, pearls before swine, swine speech? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that Kathy made to Tim. <laughs> you know, so it's it's kind of lost. Uh, it's a little bit lost to history, but uh, Tim had been dating uh, someone else while he was becoming very close friends with Kathy, and that relationship fell apart. And there was actually a a scenario where they were taking a course in biblical counseling in Philadelphia and ended up staying in the same house with, with the same same woman and just a fascinating dynamic, but they were friends. But it was very clear that once Tim broke up with this other woman and he was so close with Kathy that it was the pearls before swine idea there was like, look, if you don't see what you have in me right now, then I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. Like you, <laughs> you've had plenty to be able to figure. You had plenty of opportunity to be able to figure this out right now. And in Tim's defense, his response was, "I was so close with Kathy. It was like we really couldn't date. It was as soon as we would date, we were practically married. Um, we were that close with each other. And so, you know, it was an interesting dynamic. But another one of these examples of the breaking stereotypes that I'm referring to." before uh, Kathy had a, a healthy self-regard that I think helped her and Tim to be such a compatible couple over these many decades, nearly 50 years of marriage. And obviously the speech worked. It did work. did work. Tim realized and they did date and, you know, were married even before their seminary was done. Yes, it, it went quickly. Yes. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. They went on, as you said earlier, to have three sons. Now, what was the dynamic like with Tim working this job with, you know, sort of heavy hours, really quite hardcore, like lots of sort of pressing ministry and Kathy predominantly looking after the boys? How was family life for them in, in that situation? I think in some ways that was difficult. It was certainly difficult in the very beginning when Tim goes off to, to be a pastor and Kathy's at home. She doesn't really know what to do. Um, you know, one of the areas that Tim and Kathy never wrote about, which actually seems a little bit odd in retrospect, is parenting. And um, but one of the beautiful things when you talk with Kathy is she says, "Well, I don't think we were very good parents." And but she makes but she makes an important pastoral and theological point. She says, "We have wonderful friends who were amazing parents." and their kids didn't, didn't turn out very well. We don't think we were very good parents, that we were very natural. I don't think she would describe herself as being particularly motherly in those stereotypical senses. Um, 
But at the same time, their boys really have turned out really well. So they're making just that general point that, you know, even if your home life is not perfect, even if, you know, dad's working a lot of hours and and mom is is not naturally gifted in predisposing these areas, the Lord can still work in in mighty ways. But it did produce some some interesting observations from their friends who were not shy to point out that they should have talked less to their kids. They're just natural preachers, right? So they would tend to teach and to preach to their kids when their friends would be like, how about you just tell them to stop? (laughs) How about you just tell them to knock it off? (laughs) Uh, It was pretty funny. Now, Kathy has struggled with health issues. And obviously, in 2020, Tim received a devastating cancer diagnosis, which ultimately sadly led to his recent death. But Kathy really encouraged him to pray throughout that whole experience, didn't she? Uh, she did. And it's one of my favorite stories from them and one of her favorite stories to tell as well. They described praying together as if 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 a doctor prescribed a pill and said, if you take this pill, you will survive pancreatic cancer, for example. But if you don't, you will die. Uh, of course, he would take that pill. The way Tim and Kathy, especially Kathy, talked about that of prayer especially prayer and marriage, was the same way. If you knew that praying together regularly would be necessary to your spiritual and marital health, why wouldn't you do it? You, of course, would do that. And so they resolved through a lot of the difficulties that they faced in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks to pray together regularly, no matter what, no matter where they were, every day together. Um that's an inspiration uh, for all of us, uh, one that I need to be practicing myself. Um, but just uh, just another example of how important their partnership was in ministry. And, um, and I'm just fascinated to see how Kathy continues to steward that in years to come. Well, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about Kathy, who is obviously a very significant part of Tim's family. And we spoke a little bit about his sister, Sharon, in an earlier episode. But One person we haven't really touched on, and I suppose I've not really heard that much about until I read your book, was Tim's brother, Billy, who sadly died of complication from AIDS in the 1990s. Now, what impact did that have on Tim and his family? Because that must have been absolutely devastating. Yeah, very difficult. And and Tim didn't talk about it very much. Um, being a pastor in New York City in particular with the largest LGBTQ population in the United States made discussing these issues very complicated and even very personal in ways that he was not eager to exploit. In other words, to be able to say, hey, I understand what these things are like, just consider my brother. It it seemed like almost exploiting his brother's life and legacy. And also, his brother's story ended with his conversion in hospice. Uh, Tim's hospice was not even a day, whereas his brother Billy's hospice was over the course of months. It lasted a long time. Tim's parents were able to minister to him, singing over him again and again and again uh, over that course of months. And he's able to hear um, others come to teach him and to and to help him to understand grace, which he eventually did accept before his death. And so I think the most significant takeaway, though, was just the dynamic of the two brothers. It goes back to the parable of the prodigal son. And I think it's only fitting that 
at that funeral for his younger brother, that that's the message that Tim Keller preached. And I'm not sure that before my book, that was, I don't think that was public. I'm not aware of that being public, but when I saw that, it just made so many things make sense. And um, that message of grace was never less than deeply personal for Tim in his own life, but also in the life of his younger brother. And I suppose that's one of the beautiful things about Tim Keller, his preaching, his ministry, was he would respond to questions around sexuality, women in leadership, these kind of controversial issues with such a pastoral heart, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it's not just his own experience of being especially introspective, but it's um, also just the real pastoral experience that he had, especially in Hopewell, Virginia, when you are the you're you're counseling three different couples in marriage crisis at the same time, you're doing visitation, you're going to birthday parties. It's a lot of work, and it really did burn him out. But it meant that he was always thinking about the heart and not just the head. So, when you think about it visually, I don't know many people, maybe anybody who did it as well as Tim did, of connecting the head to the heart to the hands. Um, in ministry, but it really, it came out of his personal inclination, but also his significant pastoral experience in Virginia. Well, we're going to talk a bit more about his experience in Hopewell, Virginia, because that was such a kind of testing time for him, but, but kind of the birth of his significant ministry. But that feels like a great place to end talking about the head and the heart and truth versus grace. Um, But Colin, thank you so much for talking to us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic. I'm Ruth Jackson. And as always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. We would love to hear your feedback. Drop us an email with your thoughts at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or get in touch via social media. And don't forget, there are more shows, articles and resources at our website, premierunbelievable.com. You can also register there for a free ebook. Thank you for listening and see you next time. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.